Welcome back to the Burning Phoenix podcast and our explorations into a new renaissance. So hope you have a good day. In this episode, we're going to have one part with a listener question, and then we're going to have a topic of the week, which is about uh, these things we're reading in Dante's uh, Paradiso and the sphere of Venus. So we don't have much updates since last time. We just keep reading and doing research of the Paradiso in the original Italian, and we are making so many profound, deep discoveries. And we just finished Canto 8, and uh, we're going to talk about that in the second part of this episode. So then first, uh, we are going to look at the question for this week. And this is from Stephen in Cumbria here in Britain. And so again, the, the questions we have like every week now is uh, some favorites from ancient medieval literature that has impacted your life. And the other one is the current conundrum or uh, challenge for today. And then we're going to try to connect this to the ancient tradition or the medieval tradition. So when it comes to ancient medieval literature, Stephen here writes that uh, the main thing for him is the realization that the themes and messages in literatures from hundreds of years ago are still relevant today, and it underlines the fact that despite our societal, economical, and technological advances, we are still fundamentally human animals. We haven't evolved, but our environment has. Power struggles, class wars, good versus evil, left versus right, morality, love and sacrifice, individualism, are all as relevant today as centuries ago, if not more so. Those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. So some thoughts we have on this is uh, like these are just excellent reflections and thoughts. And uh, this is a profound realization to, to hopefully reach at some point that you can understand the world in a much bigger perspective. And very interesting, this idea of seeing the world in a bigger perspective and that things from centuries ago are relevant now, this idea was in many ways kind of more embedded in the medieval and ancient tradition itself. Like this is how they looked at history from their vantage point. And that many or most things remain the same, especially at the deeper levels, even if the environment and times change. So in some ways, the older traditions had a better frame to relate to and integrate their own contemporary times into a wider framework of what was their own past. So in many ways, this is also then one of the most like overall implicit arguments in, for example, Dante's comedy, that everything is unified into a bigger picture. The current, the past, the moral fabric of being, the challenges of exercising your free will, the challenge and art of aiming for the good and for the truth in turbulent times, which often is the norm for the human condition and for history. And again, from other sources, we have the same reference uh, from Ecclesiastes again, like there is nothing new under the sun, or from the Greeks with uh, how the Greek gods are des described sometimes as kind of they're watching the human activities as waves rolling onto the beach, withdrawing and then rolling over the beach once again in this timeless repetition. And often the gods are also shaking their heads off like over how humans keep making the same mistakes. And then again, like there is nothing new. It's a repetition in some ways. And then just wanted to add a couple of more con concrete examples from Dante about this the relevance of the old for, for the contemporary moment. 
the whole main structure of Inferno and the damaging choices for, for example, an individual or for society. This is kind of, uh, if you look at half of the book of Inferno, this is about fraud and deceit. And it has the sower of discords. And then the most damaging sin or vice is like in the inner ninth circle. Uh, this is betrayal in relationships that are built on trust. And all of this is perhaps even more relevant today than just 20 or 30 years ago in this kind of specific moment in time now in 2023 or the 2020s or the 2010s and the 2020s maybe. And then also the solutions to many of these problems and challenges are described in purgatory, how to mitigate and heal the vices like envy, greed, or even pride and hubris, which is the deepest one and the root cause of all the other sins. And then finally, in the Paradiso, then Dante shows us the higher solution in the spiritual sense to reconnect and unify the earthly with the transcendent and with the heavens, to have a more balanced life and outlook and oriented towards the good and the truth. And thereby, you will also be sorting all the earthly troubles within a much wider and timeless context. And this will then, again, provide... Uh, provide you with hope, inspiration, comfort, and stability. And then you also will get an abundance of truth and beauty in itself. So those were a few thoughts on how the old tradition is still relevant for today, whenever today is, like now it's 2023. If you look at Dante in 1300 or 13, 13 to 1321 when he was in exile, uh, then how he looked at kind of the, the older times and the Roman Empire and the Greeks and before that. Okay, so next, the second thing from Stephen is about the conundrum. And this is a really complicated one. Uh, so he says there, I have my own strong views and opinions, all of which are in constant flux as I learn and mature as a person. I'm constantly trying to see and understand people's views that contradict mine. My social media is not an echo chamber. I intentionally follow an eclectic and wide range of people and personalities to give myself the best opportunity to either strengthen my own argument, change my mind, or just empathize with my opponents. There's nothing I'm not prepared to change my mind on if the right information was to convince me. And then for the challenge, he says, I guess my conundrum is... Should I keep my thoughts and opinions and views to myself to keep the peace, in quotation marks, with friends or family? Or should I stand up loud and proud for what I believe believe in, irrespective of the consequences? Okay, so this is super complicated. Uh, this is really a timeless dilemma. Uh, and it's also then very relevant for many people today. Uh, so... Just to have some thoughts on this, some perspective, some ideas of how to, to kind of approach this, this challenge then. Like, it's a timeless question of what, what is the price to pay, both to speak up or to stay silent. And there, with this, you also have then now the perspective of like patience, the right timing or the right amount in the right context both to actually get your point across to other people, but also to see the big picture and maybe also how the bigger trends might already be working in your favor. So in terms of taking a stand, uh, we have the famous, like just for examples, here we have the famous passage uh, in Inferno in the vestibule of those people who are chasing a blank banner. So this is very often quoted 
miss misreferenced as the the hottest place in hell which is it is not it is it's like this waiting hall outside of inferno and then when virgil and the pilgrim come to this place then virgil says this wretched state of being is the fate of those sad souls who lived a life but lived it with no blame and with no praise they are mixed with that repulsive choir of angels neither faithful nor unfaithful to their God, who undecided stood but for themselves. Heaven, to keep its beauty, cast them out, but even hell itself would not receive them, for fear the damned might glory over them. So Dante is really strong here with his thoughts on, uh, on the people who refuse to take a stand, and this is written very much like in... Uh, this is still that maybe just eight or ten years after he was exiled from Florence, so he has lots of personal experience with this. Uh, the situation where many people did not take a stand and then the politics and the culture and the society kind of deteriorated and collapsed in many ways. So that is one way to kind of start thinking about this. Uh, in a spiritual sense, like your stance inside of yourself, how you, how you relate to to some of these bigger issues will have huge consequences for yourself, like inside of yourself. If you choose to pursue truth and virtue, or if you unconsciously are letting yourself be guided by other vices like greed, envy, fraud, self-indulgence, or intellectual pride. And then Dante would argue in terms of the sphere of the moon and, and this wonderful conversation he has with Picarda, that your inner convictions for virtue or belief in the good, in a wide sense, is not enough by itself. And for these things to have a real effect, also spiritually on you, there needs to be an external action and kind of you have to make the works in the real life as well. So in many ways, we are back to the central challenge here now of like how much, how often, how strongly, and when should you speak up or take a stance, or like do actions. And then again, also looking at the bigger picture if things are already improving slowly. So this is indeed one of the biggest dilemmas in practical terms in life, how to relate to these situations. So another practical approach that could be helpful is just this idea of choosing your battles. Like don't do every battle that you uh, are kind of confronted with or or uh, that is around you. But again, sometimes you need to speak up too. And this is a complicated art, and it often comes down to the specific situation. But then just also adding here uh, that sometimes one has to withdraw from a context. And this could be your workplace, it could be friends of yours, or, or relatives if that is possible, or your town. If things are too badly in opposition with your inner values and your own convictions. And this might have a high price, as seen, for example, with again Dante and his exile that he had to pay, but sometimes the alternative might not be an option either. So, in this sense, also maybe the last uh, perspective to think of here is one the one with uh, the cardinal virtues and temperance, that just not rush things too much but make some smaller decisions and see how things go and then adjust the path as the time 
and the context unfolds. So uh, hope this at least gives a couple of ideas uh, from from both like the the ancient and medieval frameworks of how to think about this, uh, and then. It, in some sense, it becomes a bit, it, this becomes a part of what gives you experience in life as well, because it's a bit of trial and error and to understand how to manage these these challenges. And then, uh, with time, with more life experience, one one gets better at the art of navigating these things. And then maybe getting a little bit more um, like this temperance uh, patience level might help to to kind of making it, uh, like, avoiding the, the huge, uh, like, the flare-ups and, and, like, less constructive kind of <laughs> uh, effects of, of taking a stance or making, making some choices in relation to this. Okay, so, uh, but it's a really good question because some things in life are just permanently complicated. So this, it's good to, to try to think about that as well. And then for the second segment today, this is uh, something that is in some ways a bit more straightforward <laughs> than the listener question, uh, but it's, it's at the same time a really profound idea. So this is something that comes now from Canto 8 in Paradiso. This is now in the, the sphere of Venus and the pilgrim is talking with Carlo Martello, which was a young prince that he met in his 20s. Uh, and this young prince would have become king of uh, South Italy, Sicily, Provence, and Hungary, if he had lived, but he died from a plague when he was 24 years old. And then Dante has a little, uh, like a sigh in terms of like, if this young prince had not died, <laughs> then Dante's life might have been completely different and he might not have ended up in exile. Uh, but then again, he might not have written the Divine Comedy in the way he did either. So... Uh, there are baked many kind of dilemmas into, into that reflection he has as well. But anyways, Carlo Martello is then uh, one, like a very affectionate friend, which is a part of the, the, the love theme of Venus. But Dante has a simple question to Carlo Martello, and that is about his brother, who was a very horrible ruler. And the question was, why is his brother so viceful when their grandfather was such a virtuous and good ruler? And like, how are the offsprings? Why are the offsprings so different from their from their um, parents? And then to explain this, Carlo Martello goes on this huge detour about the origin and the and the, the structure and also the purpose of the whole cosmos. So through this this kind of explication here, he makes an argument, and like I said, Dante is making the argument through Carlo Martello for why logically there has to be what he would then call a divinity. Because he just starts at looking at the cosmos and then he just says simply that like the likelihood for the cosmos to be random, if you look at the sophistication of the cosmos, he claims then that if there were not any intelligence or shaping forces or any plan behind the structure, kind of the fundamental structure of the universe and the cosmos, then the result would have been, as Dante says in Italian, uh, non arti ma ruine. So it wouldn't be arts, arts with which at that time it meant more like skillful craft. So it wouldn't be kind of a skillful craft, but it would be ruins, meaning just without any 
uh, any shaping force that is uh, no kind of <laughs> making a fabric of being that actually works uh, there there has to be this force with if not it would just deteriorate into chaos and and ruins and it's interesting because after the last hundred years with all these tremendous discoveries like empirical discoveries through science within fields like astrophysics cosmology or molecular biology or like the dna coding techniques it's becoming less and less likely that all of this is a result of random processes, kind of aimless random processes, if nothing else because of the time frame. So this argument that Dante is making about the, like that there is not very likely that the cosmos is random is even stronger today in many ways. Okay, so the main point that comes out of this is that he then quickly makes this jump with two steps. So if the cosmos is not random, there has to be some shaping forces, some some intelligence of some sort that uh, is shaping the cosmos. And then the next step is just that if they exist, they have to have a source. And that source is then what Dante in a way defines as God or divinity, as the source of all being. So it's a very simple argument. And then like the logic is it seems quite kind of watertight or <laughs> waterproof that if it's not random, there has to be something that is shaping it or giving the organizing principles. And then this has to come from somewhere and that would be the source of all being and something that actually exists. So it hinges on this one question in that case, which is, is the cosmos random or not? And it's interesting, we just talked with a couple of our clients this week and made, just reference this, this argument, and then especially one who is not interested in the spiritual or religious at all, just like an, an open-minded and smart engineer, uh, he just made instantly that connection that, well, it doesn't seem random, and then that means that something has or is shaping it, and, and then he said, where does that come from? So that is the argument. And it's interesting because you have the argument, the, like a cosmological argument from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas with the contingency that you have cause and effect and this chain of cause and effect cannot go on forever into eternity so therefore it has to have a beginning and that the beginning is then the first cause like how like what the Greeks and Aristotle call the first mover but like that first cause would then be the divinity in, in uh, St. Thomas view or in his argument but this randomness argument for Dante is in many ways much more convincing and compelling. And again, it has been strengthened after the last hundred years. So um, that's all we wanted to do, just reference from our discoveries uh, this week from the sphere of Venus. And um, it, it came as a bit of a surprise, this argument, because it kind of almost like a scientific um, argument. And then just a couple of small kind of extra thoughts on that so uh, maybe it's kind of uh, becoming less of it these days but the idea that science and kind of the spiritual or the religious is uh, somehow like uh, mutually exclusive or <laughs> excluding each other uh, is just not true and then 
to just pick one big example is Isaac Newton. He was a very religious person uh, and his science is fantastic. And then in many ways, it is then most likely that it's because of his faith and his religious views, not in spite of them. Because he's very conscious about what he's doing and he's delineating science as a domain within something much bigger. So we also have this famous quote that when he talks about, for example, gravity, he describes how gravity works. But then when it comes to the question of why there is gravity, or like how did the nature of gravity come to be, he simply says, this is outside of science. So he's like, I, I, I'm not even trying to make a hypothesis about this because this is not science. For science to be good, it has to be within its own domain. And this is a way of thinking that most likely just should be reintroduced and become the norm again, both to improve science and then also to improve the intellectual and spiritual life and the culture at large, which would be a part of this larger project of a burning phoenix or a rebirth or a renaissance where we get the big picture, the fuller picture back again. And that will be good for, for again, both the sciences and the humanities, the spiritual, the intellectual. So... Um, but again, that was the main point. Uh, we call that last part, we're coining a new phrase. We're launching a new field of study, which, which we call big pictureology. So if anybody out there wants to be a big pictureologist, like this is the day to remember when we start big pictureology, which is then the knowledge of the big picture. And this is a way then to try to move the conversation back to not science or religion, but to move the conversation to the basic question, what is the big picture? And that is a refreshing new way of looking at this. And then most likely if you then look at science and you think, is science the big picture of everything? The answer will most likely be very uh, simple. And then, no, it is not. <laughs> it is a fantastic domain. It's very helpful. It's given us tremendous um, like advances in, in technological sense. Uh, it can be very, very helpful, but it is not the big picture. So, um, and then we can have a fruitful and interesting discussion of what is really the, the big picture. And then, uh, for example, again, for the <laughs> nth time, <laughs> that Dante might be a fantastic place to start. Okay, so um, that was all we had for today. Like a very complicated question from Stephen in Cumbria, here in Britain. And then a bit of a talk about Dante and Paradiso and the randomness argument. So with that, uh, this was a bit over 20 minutes. So uh, hope some of this was interesting. Hope you're still having a great day. And uh, we'll be back soon with another episode. See you then. <laughs>